welcome to this Touch Podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Oncology. This podcast aims to provide insights on unmet needs, emerging therapies, and the importance of biomarker testing in HER2-negative gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer. This activity is funded by an educational grant from Estella's Pharma Inc. This activity is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. In this podcast, Dr. Rithu Mukherjee will review the challenges and unmet needs for patients with advanced HER2-negative gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer. She will describe the burden of disease, current guidelines and treatment options, and ongoing clinical challenges. My name is Rithu Mukherjee, and I'm an assistant professor and gastrointestinal medical oncologist at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center in Washington, D.C. What is the current burden of disease of advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? With over 1 million new cases in 2022 and an estimated 769,000 deaths, gastric cancer represents one of the most common causes of cancer death worldwide. It's the fifth leading cause of cancer and fourth leading cause of cancer deaths globally. And it has a higher incidence in men than women in a two to one ratio. And while upper GI cancers tend to be squamous or adenocarcinoma subtypes, lower esophageal GE junction and gastric cancers are more often adenocarcinoma. And while the incidence of gastric cancer is decreasing annually in the United States, this is really reflective of non-cardiac gastric cancer, and lower esophageal GE junction adenocarcinoma incidence is actually rising in Western countries, likely attributed to the increasing rate of obesity and GERD as well. And while advanced gastric cancer is often incurable, early stage gastric cancers can technically be cured with surgery. But many patients with early stage gastric cancers are asymptomatic when diagnosed, and up to 50% of patients have unresectable disease. Silent evolution, late clinical presentation, genomic heterogeneity, and resistance mechanisms to treatment all contribute to the high mortality rates of gastric cancer. What do current U.S. guidelines advise for the treatment of HER2-negative advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? Current United States guidelines for the treatment of advanced HER2 non-amplified esophageal GE junction and gastric cancer include chemotherapy or chemotherapy combined with immunotherapy. For HER2 non-amplified esophageal and GE junction cancers, um, the NCCN 2023 guidelines recommend chemotherapy with either fluoropyrimidine and oxaliplatin with nivolumab anti-PD-1 therapy, or chemotherapy with fluoropyrimidine, oxaliplatin, or cisplatin with pembrolizumab, another anti-PD-1 therapy, as first-line targeted therapy. For patients with HER2 non-amplified gastric cancer, first-line targeted therapy options include chemotherapy plus nivolumab. And these uh, approvals for chemotherapy plus immunotherapy are based on trials such as Keynote 590 and Checkmate 649. In in March 2021, the FDA approved pembrolizumab in combination with chemotherapy for advanced esophageal and GE junction cancer patients based on Keynote 590. And in April 2021, the FDA approved chemotherapy plus nivolumab for advanced esophageal GE junction and gastric cancer adenocarcinoma patients based on Checkmate 649. 
Despite the FDA approval of combining chemotherapy plus immunotherapy in all patients, irrespective of further biomarker selection, the NCCN guidelines has further recommendations based on level of evidence for recommending immunotherapy plus chemotherapy based on patients' pdl one CPS score, a predictive immunotherapy biomarker. For patients with tumors with a pdl one CPS score greater than or equal to 5, there's a higher Category 1 recommendation combining chemotherapy plus immunotherapy with nivolumab. And for patients with a pdl one CPS score greater than or equal to 10, there's a higher category recommendation for combining chemotherapy plus pembrolizumab compared to patients with a CPS score less than 10. What are the data supporting the use of nivolumab in HER2-negative advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? Checkmate 649 was a phase 3 randomized multicenter global study where patients with advanced esophageal GE junction gastric adenocarcinomas were randomized in frontline treatment to chemotherapy or chemotherapy plus nivolumab. The primary endpoint of this study was progression-free and overall survival in patients with tumors with a CPS score greater than or equal to 5. The primary endpoint of this trial was met with the median overall survival improvement of 14.4 versus 11.1 months and progression-free survival of 7.7 versus 6 months in patients with a CPS score greater than or equal to 5. The study also demonstrated a survival benefit in all randomized patients irrespective of pdl one score. The median overall survival was 13.8 months versus 11.6 months, and progression-free survival 7.7 versus 6.9 months in favor of the immunotherapy plus chemotherapy arm. These results left to the FDA approval of chemo plus immunotherapy in all patients irrespective of PDL1 score. However, in subgroup analyses of patients with a CPS score less than 5, there were trends for less degree of benefit with immunotherapy plus chemotherapy. And this is reflected in the NCCN guidelines where there is a higher recommendation for combining chemo plus nivolumab in patients with a CPS score greater than or equal to 5 compared to a lower recommendation if the CPS score is less than 5. What are the data supporting the use of pembrolizumab in HER2-negative advanced esophageal and gastroesophageal junction cancer? Keynote 590 is a phase 3 randomized global multicenter study where patients with advanced esophageal and GE junction adenocarcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma were randomized one-to-one to chemotherapy plus placebo or chemotherapy plus pembrolizumab. Most patients in this study actually had squamous cell carcinoma, 73%, compared to 27% with adenocarcinoma. The primary, there were multiple primary endpoints in this study, including looking at overall survival in esophageal squamous cell carcinoma patients with a PDL1 score greater than or equal to 10, and progression-free and overall survival in all esophageal squamous cell carcinoma patients, all patients with a PDL1 score greater than or equal to 10, and all randomized patients. The primary endpoint of this study was met, and survival benefits with chemo plus immunotherapy were seen across all predetermined primary endpoints groups. Here we show the results of all randomized patients, where chemotherapy plus immunotherapy improved overall survival, 12.4 versus 9.8 months, and progression-free survival, 6.3 versus 5.8 months in all randomized patients.
Patients with a CPS score greater than or equal to 10 also had survival improvements with a median overall survival of 13.5 versus 9.4 months and progression-free survival of 7.5 versus 5.5 months. Exploratory analyses of patients with PDL1 CPS scores less than 10 actually showed that the survival difference was not significantly different. Together, these data led to FDA approvals of chemotherapy plus immunotherapy in esophageal and GE junction cancers, but with the suggestion that those with lower PDL1 scores less than 10 may not be benefiting as much, this led to higher category recommendations in the NCCN guidelines for the combination of immunotherapy and chemotherapy for patients with a CPS score greater than or equal to 10, and a lower recommendation for the combination in patients with a CPS score less than 10. What clinical challenges remain in the treatment of HER2-negative advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? While chemotherapy and immunotherapy are improving survival in some patients, there remain ongoing clinical challenges for the treatment of patients with advanced upper GI tumors. We need to identify more reliable biomarkers to predict the efficacy of immunotherapy. PD-1, PDL one are biomarkers that can predict the efficacy, but there's temporal and spatial heterogeneity, and um, not all patients with higher pd one scores benefit from the combination. We also need to identify better treatment options for patients with low pdl one scores, as these patients tend to not benefit as much from the combination as seen in these studies. Also identifying optimal sequencing of immunotherapy, chemotherapy, and perhaps in combination with other emerging targeted therapies remains an ongoing question. We also need to identify additional targets in upper GI tumors. And beyond the first line setting, we need to identify more active regimens in the refractory setting for patients who progress to second or third line treatment. Thank you for watching this discussion about the challenges and unmet needs in patients with advanced HER2 non-amplified upper GI tumors. We hope that it has been helpful for you. Thank you for that comprehensive overview, Dr. Mukherjee. Now let's move on to our next interview, where Jaffa Ajani will explore novel and emerging first-line targeted therapies for advanced HER2-negative gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer, and how these might influence treatment strategies in the future. Hello, everyone. My name is Zafar Ajani. I'm a GI medical oncologist. I work at MD Anderson Cancer Center. What new targeted therapy approaches are being explored in advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? So first of all, this is a very important area that is evolving quite rapidly. Uh, So the one way to understand is we have the phenotype in gastric cancer. One is diffuse type, intestinal type but that is just looking at under the microscope. Then we have the genotypes established by TCGA and the Korean classification, but that doesn't really help too much in the clinic. Then we have this biomarkers. So biomarkers are the targets for therapeutics. Uh, So a biomarker, if you can identify and you don't have a drug, then it's not very meaningful. But now we have identified at least four biomarkers that we can we have drugs for and these are HER2 overexpression, PDL1 by CPS score, particularly CPS is more than five, uh, microsatellite uh, status, uh, particularly if it is unstable or high. And finally EBV, uh, this is a virus that can induce gastric carcinoma. So today, in my clinic, 
I have to check these four biomarkers for untreated advanced gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma patients. Now, there are some emerging biomarkers, uh, such as Claudine 18.2 will be the next one, uh, then FGFR2B, and finally, uh, DKK1 is under significant development uh, today. So it may be that we will be checking uh, these three. And then um, since gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma are so heterogeneous that there will be more subsets, and these will be defined by KRAS amplification, occasionally KRAS mutation, or DNA damage repair deficiency, which is quite common in cancers. In gastroesophageal cancers, almost 20% of tumors are somewhat deficient in repairing the DNA. What is the evidence base for the use of bemeritizumab in HER2-negative advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? So um, FGFR, there are four um, genes. So this is a small family of genes, FGFR 1 to 4. And they're altered in cancers in general. All solid tumors, including leukemia, can have alterations in one of the genes. And this is about 7% of all tumor types. In gastric cancer, there is a splice variant that is called FGFR2B. This is a receptor uh, in the embryonic gene family. In other words, it can promote rapid multiplication. That's why cancer cells use that. And it is frequently overexpressed, this particular receptor, FGFR2B, in almost 35% of untreated patients. Um, and the reason it is um, very interesting is because we have a drug. We have several drugs, but for FGFR2B, there is an antibody called bemertuzumab, and this antibody has already been tried uh, in the clinic. So essentially, the FGFR2B is an oncogene that helps the cancer cell to multiply and migrate. Um, and uh, if you use bemertuzumab, then it will occupy that FGFR2B receptor and will block signaling, oncogenic signaling. In other words, the cancer cell will be deprived of that signal to multiply and migrate. At the same time, when there is antigen and antibody complex, uh, antigen will be FGFR2B and antibody is the bemertuzumab. When that complex is formed, there is uh, NK cell stimulation. So in other words, you accomplish two things. One is you prevent the cancer cells from multiplying. And secondly, you stimulate the immune system. So that is a potential advantage to control gastroesophageal cancer that express or overexpress FGFR2B. So as I mentioned, this uh, bimertizumab has already been in clinic in a, a randomized uh, placebo-controlled phase two trial. And this trial was prematurely stopped. And the results are very suggestive of uh, a trend towards benefit. So it's a small trial, only uh, 155 patients or so. So we are not going to get very significant outcomes, but there's, there was enough trend that the antibody is now being developed in, in, in pivotal trial, like phase three trials. 
So we are, we are, there are two major trials that are underway. One is called 42101, uh, which does not have immunotherapy. And 42102, that does have addition of NEVO. So um, the control arm in one trial is chemotherapy. The control arm in another trial is chemo plus NEVO. And then there are other molecules that are also being developed. What is the evidence base for the use of zolbituximab in HER2-negative advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? So this is a very uh, interesting biomarker, and it is unique to gastroesophageal cancer at the moment, but I suspect that uh, claudines, uh, which is a very large family of proteins, uh, are expressed in all tissues and many cancers, and they will all be targeted, but we are starting with gastric cancer. So essentially, cancer cells cannot survive by being attached to other cells because they like to multiply and migrate. And normal cells like to be um, uh, adherent to other cells uh, because they don't need to multiply and migrate. They're basically happy being attached to other cells and communicating with other cells. And the way this adhesion takes place in normal cells is by claudines. Claudines are junction proteins that will tightly bind two cells together. So when claudine 18.2 is um, causing adhesion among two cells, it is a tumor suppressor gene. So it will suppress the oncoproteins. Um, so then the normal cells, there is no pressure to multiply. However, the cancer cells cannot survive being um, adhered to other cells. So what happens is they will cleave, cleave claudine 18.2. And this, this way, the cell can release itself. But the moment claudine 18.2 is cleaved, it becomes an oncogene. And it will upregulate many other oncogenes. So we don't have time today to discuss this in detail. but Principally, in cancer cells, if claudine is cleaved, then it is an oncogene, and that can be targeted. So it can be targeted with zolbituximab, which is a chimeric uh, IgG1 monoclonal antibody, and it will bind to claudine 18.2, and it will re result in, again, two different um, uh, events. One will be stimulation of the immune system, NK cell, ADCC, and the second will be, it will prevent the cancer, uh, downregulate all the oncogenes so the cancer cell cannot proliferate and cannot migrate. So that is an advantage. So there, there was a, a trial called FAST trial. This was completed in Europe. And again, this was a small trial, but showing considerable advantage in patients who received dolbituximab particularly where the claudine expression was very high. In 70% of cells, if there was claudine expressed, uh, those patients benefited substantially. So essentially what the pharma has done is um, focused on patients where the claudine expression is very high. And uh, two major uh, phase three pivotal trials are already completed and they're both positive. We have uh, results from Spotlight showing prolongation of progression-free survival and overall survival, 
and we have press release on the trial card called GLOW, G-L-O-W. And there also there is uh, the endpoints are met, uh, progression-free survival and overall survival. The difference between these two trials is just the chemotherapy schedule. So in, in Spotlight, chemo is given every two weeks, and in GLOW, it's given every three weeks. What are the future directions for treatment of advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer in light of emerging biologic therapies? So there are, fortunately, what we are discovering now is that there are many subsets in gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. So in other words, not every patient's cancer is using the same, what we call drivers, driver genes, driver proteins. Um, so 10 years ago, um, I would be treating every patient with the same treatment because I assume that everyone's cancer is the same. But now we know it is not the case. So we, we describe already potentially six biomarkers that we will have to check. Uh, and that will be PDL1, HER2 microsatellite status, and EBV. And then the one that is coming very closely is Claudine 18.2, and followed by FGFR2B, and perhaps all FGFR genes. And at the same time, there are emerging biomarkers like TKK1. So I suspect that that will be, become very important because uh, that molecule is being developed right now in randomized phase two, but it will go into phase three. And uh, as you may know, that KRAS uh, is a very hot topic uh, in gastrointestinal cancers, also lung cancers. So there are many molecules that can address specific mutations of KRAS, or there are some pan-KRAS molecules that can inhibit whatever abnormality there might be, such as um, amplification or specific mutation. Um, but what is really exciting is the other platform that is developing, which is the um, what is called the agnostic um, treatments. So these are biomarkers that, irrespective of tumor type, if you have it, then you can use the drug. So this is NTRK fusion, red fusion, BRAF uh, mutation, and TMB high, tumor uh, uh, mutation burden. If it is high, for example, 10 mutations per megabyte of DNA, uh, you can use immunotherapy. So we have all these biomarkers that um, we will have to address in the clinic and doing just the tissue-based analysis is going to be challenging because we don't have a lot of tissue available. Um, but at the same time, there are these technologies that are uh, making treatments more effective. So one will be BITE, which is a multi-engager. So one antibody can engage a component of immune system. The other arm will engage an oncoprotein. So we are kind of addressing both sides. Uh, if you just treat with, uh, if you target just the immune system, the cancer can modify itself. Um, but if you target both the cancer and immune system, perhaps um, we will get a greater advantage. So BITE is one, bi-specific, tri-specific antibodies that engage multiple. Tri-specific can engage three different targets. 
so that you're gaining a greater advantage when when you're trying to disrupt uh, cancer progression. And then, of course, cell therapy and, and the new technology of antibody conjugate, especially Claudine 18.2. Now, there are many molecules that contain zolbituximab, a linker, and a cytotoxic moiety at the same time. So all three components can be targeted to cancer cells uh, for greater advantage. So I think we're in very exciting time at the moment. And also, um, we have to pay a lot of attention to the development in order to treat our patients properly. I want to thank everybody for listening to um, this presentation today. And I hope uh, you, you benefited from this and you will be able to uh, discuss this with your patients and with your colleagues. Thank you. Thank you for those useful insights, Dr. Ajani. Now let's move on to our next interview, where Dr. Natalia Oboa will explain the importance of biomarker testing for personalised therapy in advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer, and discuss current best practice and how this may evolve with the emergence of new biomarkers. Hello, uh, my name is Natalia Oboha. I am an associate professor in Department of Medicine in Carbone Cancer Center at University of Wisconsin, and I specialize in treating patients with gastrointestinal cancers. What are the recommended testing methods for biomarkers in advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? So there are now a few different modalities that we utilize to better characterize patients' tumors, uh, patients' tumors with gastroesophageal adenocarcinomas. We use immunohistochemistry, which is probably the easiest method to use, and we use immunohistochemistry to look at PDL1 expression, HER2 expression, and expression of mismatched repair proteins. So specifically for PDL1 expression, we utilize CPS, which is a combined positive score. This is different from tumor positive score, which is used in other tumors such as non-small cell lung cancer. Combined positive score looks at the presence of PDL1 expression not only in tumor cells, but also in immune cells that are present in tumor microenvironment. And this is the score that's utilized when we look at uh, patients with advanced gastroesophageal adenocarcinomas. HER2 is uh, probably has the longest track record in the uh, characterizing of patients with gastroesophageal adenocarcinomas, um, HER2 expression is present in about 15 to 20%. I, I should say HER2 overexpression is present in about 15 to 20% of, of tumors um, and um, is also uh, evaluated via immunohistochemistry. Although we do utilize fluorescent in cytohybridization as well when we get an indeterminate score for HER2, such as 2+. Plus. 1 plus immunohistochemistry score for HER2 is considered negative. 3 plus is positive. But whenever we have tumors with 2 plus HER2 expression, we have to further validate whether this, this, this is actually tumor with overexpression versus uh, low expression with subsequent fluorescent in cytohybridization of fish assay. An MMR protein expression looks at the presence or absence of mismatch repair proteins, and this is a test for us to identify patients who potentially have microcellular instability or have deficient MMR expression, and those patients whose tumors have deficient mismatch repair uh, protein expression uh, would likely uh, would be more likely to respond to immune checkpoint inhibitors. 
NGS testing and next generation sequencing is now utilized very frequently for patients with, with advanced tumors. Uh, and this is the test that looks at many different genes at the same time. And we can look for gene amplifications, uh, gene mutations, uh, fusions, um, uh, all at the same time. And we typically use this assay for patients with stage four disease. At ctDNA, in this in this setting, I, we talk about looking at uh, liquid biopsy um, to look for uh, genetic mutations. Uh, ctDNA assays can be used as a, as a way, as a quick way to look at what mutations are present in the tumor. We typically utilize ctDNA testing um, when we don't have enough um, uh, tissue for testing or uh, when we need a result quicker that, than what we can typically receive with tissue NGS testing that can usually take two to three weeks. Now, I have to say that a negative result from ctDNA has to be interpreted with caution because occasionally we may not detect the present mutations or amplifications because of the tumor characteristics, such as potentially uh, tumors not shedding as much, as much um, DNA into the bloodstream. What are the available biomarkers that predict response to targeted therapies for advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? So at this time, there are three established biomarkers that we use to decide on therapies for patients. One of them is testing for deficient mismatch repair protein expression or looking for microsatellite instability with PCR. Um, we now have an approval of pembrolizumab in a disease agnostic fashion to um, uh, for patients that have uh, tumors with uh, MMR deficiency or microcell instability. And so certainly testing of tumors um, in advanced stages and also in early stages is very important. Pembrolizumab uh, is approved for patients with uh, MSI high tumors. Uh, in our practice, we test all GI cancers, regardless of stage, uh, for MMR expression with immunohistochemistry. Another biomarker that is utilized for treatment selections for patients with advanced gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma is PDL1, and we talked about it previously. We looked at CPS score. And PDL1 helps us determine which patients are more likely to respond to immunotherapy. We use this biomarker in advanced setting only. And at this time, uh, we primarily use nivolumab in combination with chemotherapy in patients whose tumors have PDL1, CPS5 or greater. Um, pembrolizumab can be utilized in esophageal um, cancer, adenocarcinoma specifically. Uh, the cutoff is a bit different. We typically use PDL1, CPS10 or greater for pembrolizumab selection. It is important to know that in the US, both nivolumab and pembrolizumab IFDA approved regardless of PDL1 expression. However, we do see better activity of these agents in patients whose tumors have PDL1 uh, expression. And lastly, HER2, uh, HER2 uh, is present, HER2 overexpression is present in about 15 to 20% of uh, patients with gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. It is important to test for HER2 overexpression at the time of diagnosis of advanced disease. And those patients who have HER2 positive tumors uh, should be treated with anti-HER2 agents. And it is trastuzumab in combination with chemotherapy and immunotherapy in first-line setting. And in later-line settings, we now have trastuzumab deroxtecanism as well that can be used after progression on trastuzumab. What are the emerging biomarkers for advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? It is exciting to see that we are starting to have more targeted therapies for patients with gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. I think uh, 
Plotin 18.2 as a biomarker is most ready for prime time. Plotin 18.2 is a tight junction protein. It is overexpressed in about 39% of patients with gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma. And on a molecular level, we can see Clotin 18 uh, fusioned as well, but in a smaller, smaller percentage of patients. Um, this is an exciting biomarker because we have a number of different agents in development. So the results of two phase three trials that looked whether additional zolbetoximab to chemotherapy in first-line setting improves overall survival in patients with Clotin 18.2 positive tumors. And indeed, both of those trials, Spotlight and GLOW, demonstrated that zolbetoximab results in improved overall survival. As such, I am anticipating that soon we will all be testing um, patients' tumors for Clotin 18.2 expression, and hopefully we will be incorporating a new agent into the treatment of our patients with advanced disease. FGFR2 is another uh, potential target. The data is not as mature as with, as with anti-clotin agents, uh, but FGFR2, first of all, is it's a fibroblast growth factor receptor, which is a tyrosine and kinase receptor. Uh, it, is, um, it can be dysregulated in many different ways. In gastric um, and G-junction adenocarcinoma, we typically see uh, increased expression of GFR2, although amplification can also be seen um, in a small percentage of patients. An antibody, bemarituzumab, is an antibody that goes that binds to FGFR2B, uh, which is expressed on uh, gastric and gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma cells. Um, and this antibody was evaluated in patients with um, advanced disease. And um, I guess in a similar design to, to the studies that were done with anti-clotin antibodies, when patients um, are treated, were treated with bemarituzumab in combination chemotherapy, and if those patients had tumors with high FGFR2 expression, they experienced uh, overall survival benefit. The data with bemarituzumab is, is early. It's only phase two data. And so we need to see confirmatory results in phase three data before um, hoping to incorporate this agent into our practice as well. What are the challenges surrounding biomarker testing in advanced gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancer? It is great to see that we have more biomarkers and more way to really uh, tailor treatment to each individual patient. However, this comes with challenges as well. As we are getting more and more biomarkers available for testing, tissue availability becomes an issue. Um, and certainly when we only have one biopsy uh, or one core uh, from biopsy for, for, for individual patient, uh, it, it may be challenging to send that one bi biopsy for um, multiple different immunohistochemistry tests, as well as NGS testing, and also a number of our patients are participating in clinical trials that require testing as well. So certainly tissue availability is becoming a challenge, and it is great that we have liquid biopsies as well that could supplement uh, our ability to do at least NGS testing. The other uh, challenges surrounding biomarker testing in both spatial and temporal heterogeneity I think it is um, characterized rather well for patients uh, with HER2 positive tumors. We know that HER2 overexpression can change over time. Um, this has been well described in patients who have HER2 positive tumors, are treated with trastuzumab in first line, and upon progression, their tumors lose HER2 expression. Uh, so it is um, so repeat testing is absolutely necessary when we use. Um, uh, targeted agents, repeat testing over time, but we're also learning that different tumor sites 
can express different amount of each biomarker at the same time as well. And so this is going to be a learning curve, um, have to utilize all of this information when we choose uh, patient treatments. And speaking of learning curve, given that we have a number of different antibodies used um, now for uh, biomarkers, it is a challenge for um, even our pathology colleagues to incorporate all of this into um, into our standard practice. For example, PDL1 combined positive score had used different cutoffs, 1%, 5%, 10% across different studies. The different studies also use different antibodies. So all of this um, will need to uh, be streamlined and really simplified so that it's easy to incorporate into our practice. And another I, I, important question will be, what do we do for patients who have an overlap uh, in their biomarker, in, in their tumors and biomarker expression. For example, what if the patient has a tumor that is both PDL1 positive um, and, um, and clotin expression positive? Um, and again, this is something that we will need to learn how to approach as we start to utilize both the biomarkers and the drugs in our practice. But these questions have not been answered yet and hopefully will be answered over time. But in summary, it is great to see that there are more biomarkers and more ways to personalize therapies for our patients because this ultimately will, will result in better outcomes for our patients. Thank you so much for watching this discussion about personalized treatment for advanced HER2 negative gastric and gastroesophageal junction cancers. We hope that it has been useful for you. Thank you for listening to this Touch podcast. You can access more content on this topic at www.touchoncology.com. 